we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. But now back at it in 2 Samuel chapter number 1 in the life of David. And we've taken this theme for our study, David served his generation. And one of the ways that he's going to serve his generation here in chapter number 1 is to remind us of the reverence and the respect that we should demonstrate toward the dead and the sympathy that we should express to their family members. I've entitled this message, David's Lament for Saul and Jonathan. David's Lament for Saul and Jonathan. We come to verse number one. The Bible said, now it came to pass after the death of Saul, uh, when David returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag, it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell from the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter, I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called unto me, and, he an and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said unto him, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places for how are the mighty fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, let the daughters of the Philistine, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. 
Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished. I had an occasion a few years ago to visit the tomb of the unknown soldier. I was with a group from our school, and uh, our young people were privileged to be able to help in the presentation of the wreath, the laying of the wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Every day that same ceremony is conducted sometimes several times in a day. And if you've ever been there and you've ever witnessed that, the formality of it, the the guards who are there, uh, you understand that it is a significant and weighty occasion. It is one that teaches and all of the citizens of our nation that those who have fought in battle and died on our behalf to secure and to purchase initially and now to secure our freedom, that their lives should be remembered, that we should demonstrate reverence toward the dead. It is a very powerful ceremony. Uh, Many of us have had the opportunity to be at the funeral of a veteran And you may have witnessed the playing of taps or the 21-gun salute, the presentation of the flag to the widow or to the family members of the fallen veteran. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's a moving ceremony. Again, it teaches us reverence for the dead, to remember their lives and the impact that they made. Typically, when a head of state dies... Their deaths are mourned by the nation. Their bodies, or their body rather, lies in state, perhaps in the rotunda at the Capitol. Dignitaries, citizens come and visit uh, the casket and pay their respects and express their sympathy. A state funeral will follow and eulogies are offered. That scene is played out in a less public forum in funeral homes and churches across our country. And people come to pay their respect for the dead, to express their sympathy for the family. We've read uh, two notes this morning from families thanking us as a church for our ministry to them in these times. How can we minister? Well, we minister by our presence, just being there. We don't always know what to say and oftentimes it's best if we say nothing. We pray, we ask God to comfort. We offer embraces, we send notes, and we have conversations. We give flowers and supply meals. 
All of these things are done because life is important and death is important and it should be an event that we uh, take the occasion to express reverence and sympathy. I think in, in a large measure, we've, we've lost some of that in our nation and we need to teach our children this and we need to practice it. After hearing of the death of Saul and his sons, of course, Jonathan, one of Saul's sons, was a dear friend of David. David responded with tears of mourning and words of remembrance. And he wrote this beautiful song, Lamentation, that I've read to you this morning. And he asked this question time and time again, how are the mighty fallen? He's describing the fact that Saul, though he had his problems, was a mighty man. He was the anointed of God, the king of Israel. And so we note here David's lament for Saul and Jonathan. And I, I want us to look at three headings this morning. First of all, we're going to see the messenger. And then we're going to see the mourners. And then finally, the memorial. The messenger, the memorial, or the, the mourners, and the memorial. And then I want to just give you a few practical lessons that we learn in conclusion. First of all, I want you to see the messenger this morning. The Bible says it came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had abode two days in Ziklag. Let me refresh your memory David had been living in Ziklag among the Philistines. The Philistines were going to fight against Saul. David was expected by Achish to be there. He was there. But the lords of the Philistines sent David away. That was a merciful act of God in his sovereignty. Sending David away from the battle so that the future king of Israel would never be accused of fighting against his own people. So David was sent away. He returned to Ziklag, and if you'll remember, he found the city smoking, burning with fire. The Amalekites had been there and carried away their wives, their children, their livestock, all that they had. The Amalekites had come and carried it all away. David sought the Lord's counsel, and the Lord said, Pursue after the Amalekites and you will recover all. And David did recover all. And while David was fighting against the Amalekites, recovering all, Saul was at Mount Gilboa fighting with his army, the armies of Israel, against the Philistines. And Saul, if you'll remember, was smitten by the archers. One of the arrows found its target in Saul. He was wounded gravely. He did not want the Philistines to get to him. They would have tortured him. And so he asked his armor bearer to thrust him through with a sword. His armor bearer refused to do that. And so Saul fell upon his own sword and took his own life. And David, of course, has no idea of what has happened. He's waiting on the news. And finally, after two days of waiting in Ziklag, he gets the news. In verse number two, the Bible said it came even to pass on the third day that behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. 
And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. Here comes now a messenger. He, he appears to be one who is mourning. His, his clothes are rent. He has earth upon his head. That would have signified uh, his state of mourning. David knew immediately that something was wrong. He also gives the appearance that he is loyal to David. He does obeisance. He, he falls to the earth. He bows before David in an act of reverence. David then questions him, verse 3, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So now the news has been delivered. Saul and Jonathan are dead. Many of Israel have fallen. Now I think here David begins to grow suspicious. Look at verse 5. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? And the man gives the answer. Verse 6. And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. Or, and he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. So this messenger comes, and he comes with misinformation. He comes purposely, seeking to distort and conjure up a story that is not true. Now, how do we know it's not true? By the way, David didn't have the advantage that you and I had in this moment. David didn't have the perspective that we have because we have the word of God that tells us how Saul died. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 3 through 6. The battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. We're told how Saul dies. He's, he's mortally wounded, but he's afraid the Philistines are going to come and abuse him, so he takes his own life. We read the same record in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. The Bible said, Then said Saul to his armor bearer, Draw thy sword, thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. So Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise on the sword and died. So Saul died and his three sons and all his house died together. 
So we find this young man comes with a story, but his story is not accurate. Perhaps he saw this unfold, or maybe he just discovered their dead bodies. He takes the crown from off Saul's head. Perhaps it had fallen to the ground. Doubtless it had. He takes the, uh, the uh, bracelets off Saul's wrists, and he, he's going to carry them now to David. He's going to share the news with David. But along the way, he's trying to embellish the story, to make up the story, to, to make it a little more dramatic and to turn it toward what he thought would be his favor. Now, I think we need to note something here. When, when Saul called out to him, according to his story, he said, he answered Saul in verse 8, I am an Amalekite. Again, we find that David asked the young man in verse 14, from whence art thou? He said, I am an Amalekite. Now, why is this important for us to note? It's important for us to note because Saul disobeyed the Lord in the matter of the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel chapter number 15, Samuel came to Saul with a command that he would go and fight against the Amalek or the Amalekites and utterly destroy them. 1 Samuel 15, verse 3, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling ox and sheep, camel and ass. In other words, go to Amalek and destroy all the people and all the livestock and all that they have. Now that sounds like such a harsh condemnation, a harsh judgment. And we need to understand that when God sent his people into the land of Canaan, he sent them there to occupy that land, which at the time was occupied by the Canaanites. And he was sending them there, not only for their good, for their inheritance, but he was sending them there as an act of judgment against the Canaanites. God had said to Moses many hundreds of years prior, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God had sent Abraham into the land many years before Moses. And Abraham testified to the Canaanites who the true and the living God was. They saw his power. Remember the testimony of Rahab when the spies came in? Uh, she said, we know that God has delivered you from Egypt. We know that this is your land. And we know that your God is able to deliver you. But in, in spite of the fact that they knew who God was, they would not repent. And so when the Lord brought his people into the land of Canaan, he is bringing them there as an act of his judgment against them. Now, when the Lord Jesus returns with his saints, he's coming to this earth to establish his rule to take over. There'll be no more United States government no more Chinese government, no more Russian government. Jesus will rule this earth. And when he comes, he is coming in judgment. Just as he sent his people into Canaan in judgment, he, is send, he will come again with his church in judgment and he will establish his rule. Now, God has sent Saul to Amalek as an agent of his judgment against the Amalekites. 
Now this goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. And if, if, you, if you will, take the time to turn there. If not, put the reference in your notes. Exodus 17, verse 14. Now, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, and the first group of people to oppose the Israelites were the Amalekites. They came and fought against them. Moses, if you'll remember, went to the top of the hill. And as long as his hands were lifted toward heaven, the armies of Israel prevailed. When his hands grew weary and they fell to the ground or fell downward, then the army of the Amalekites prevailed. Here we have a picture of intercessory prayer and its significance. And ultimately of the intercession of our Savior on our behalf and that his victory becomes our victory. And so the children of Israel prevailed over the Amalekites because Moses was able to intercede. Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, if you remember. In Exodus 17, after the battle is won in verse 14, the Lord speaks to Moses. We note it in verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. I want people to remember this, so put this down in black and white and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. This was God's purpose. God said, I'm going to remove Amalek from the earth. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In other words, God has declared perpetual war against Amalek. Amalek is a picture of the enemy who is always there. Do you know which enemy that is? That's the enemy of your flesh. The flesh is always seeking to rebel against God, to exalt itself against God. And now God has sent Saul in 1 Samuel 15 to carry out the sentence that he gave in Exodus 17. So Saul goes and he fights against the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15, verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, that's the king. They spared him. And the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed Utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. You see, here's what happened Saul was sent on a mission, a mission for God, and Saul made a decision. He decided that God wanted too much. He decided that he knew better than God did. So he says to Samuel, we kept Agag alive. He's the king. And we took the best of the sheep and the oxen. We kept that because we're going to offer that to the Lord. Well, the Lord didn't want that offered to him. God wanted obedience. You see, this happens to us or this temptation comes to us. 
every day, doesn't it? We have commandments from the Lord. We know what God says about something, but here's what happens to us. We begin to rationalize what God has said. We begin to weigh the commands of God with our circumstances. And we begin to make adjustments in our minds, in our way of thinking, to what God has commanded us to do. And we exempt ourselves from certain things. And we include ourselves in things that we should not include ourselves in. And we excuse ourselves for our disobedience. But I want you to remember that God does not excuse us. He will forgive us, but he does not excuse us. There's a payment for your sin and mine. It's the blood of his son who died on the cross. You see, this is significant. This messenger, he's an Amalekite. What does he teach us? He teaches us that there is a high price to pay for our disobedience. Because this guy doesn't show up with the crown and the bracelet if Saul had been obedient. In fact, in fact, Saul doesn't die on Gilboa if he had simply been obedient. He's not rejected as the king if he had simply been obedient. What circumstances do you find yourselves in? Ask yourself, am I here because of my own disobedience? Because I've somehow rationalized and, and excused away my sin. I, I know what God says, but, you know, that really doesn't apply to me. And, and I can do things a little differently. And that's for a previous generation, but that's not for me today. Let me just tell you, that's a bunch of, excuse the expression, hogwash. You see, this man's a spreader of misinformation. He should have never been there in the beginning. But then we learn of his motivation. You see, whenever people are spreading misinformation, it's usually because they have motivation. Look in verse 10. He said, and I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Now, there's some questions coming up in David's mind right now. I, first of all, I imagine David's wondering, how did this Amalekite know where to find me? He says he was in Mount Gilboa. How did he, he know where I was? Was he among that original group of Amalekites that came through Ziklag? It's possible. I'm sure that was on his mind. If this man is truly concerned about David and truly concerned about Saul, then why did he leave his body there to be carried away by the Philistines? I mean, why just grab the crown and the bracelet and leave his body there because the, the Philistines are going to abuse it? Why, why not hide his body? Why, why not bury his body? And then I imagine when this Malachite came with the crown and bracelet in hand, it was repulsive to David because this Amalekite has no authority to transfer the crown from Saul to David. That is only for God to decide. Now we know it's already been decided and perhaps the Amalekite knew that. 
But you see, whenever we have a man who is giving a false report, we have to ask the question, why is he giving a false report? Why is he bringing this misinformation? Because of his motivation. He has a motive. And what's that motive? His motive is to benefit from the death of Saul. And he thinks by taking the crown and the bracelet to David, who in his mind, the mind of the Amalekite, he thinks David is going to benefit from Saul's death. But he's sadly mistaken. So he shapes the story to promote his agenda because he's attempting to earn favor with David and advance his own cause. Well, we find later that this was a grave mistake. The messenger. And we think about the messengers in our world today. Who is it that we're listening to? Who is it that we listen to? Well, we can listen to ourselves as that's what Saul did at the battle. He rationalized. We can listen to all the pundits today and all the so-called experts who have turned their back on God. We can listen to the entertainers, but the truth of the matter is we must listen to God. And David exercised discernment in uncertain times and God guided him safely through because he listened to the right messenger. Well, let me give you the second thing. That's the mourners. The messenger and then the mourners. Now we learn two things from the mourners. Look at it if you would in verse 11. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them. He tears his garments. And likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. David did not rejoice over the death of Saul. All those years in the wilderness, all those cold nights in the cave, all those times evading the armies of Saul because you've been falsely accused of something, you would think David would now rejoice in the death of Saul. That means he's free. He has that burden off of him. And it means he's now the king. But he's not rejoicing. He's crying. He's mourning over the death of Saul. Because he knows something. He knows that Saul's death is not just about Saul. It's about the nation. It's about the people. It's about the glory of God. And therefore he weeps. He weeps. Now, let's, let's go back into the mind of the Amalekite. He's got the crown and the bracelet. He thinks David's going to reward him, right? But there's no reward. There's no reward for this misinformation. There's no reward in the death of Saul. Notice in verse 13, And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Now, if there's anything we've learned about David, David has respect for the Lord's anointed. On two occasions when he could have taken Saul's life, he refused to do so. Why? Because Saul is the anointed of the Lord. In other words, David recognized something. God put Saul in the position as king and only God can remove him. And I'm not going to take in my hand the responsibility that God has. 
That's a great lesson for all of us to learn. But this young man was willing to take it. Now, we know he didn't really take Saul's life. We know he's lying, but he's testifying that he took the life of Saul. And David doesn't have what you and I have. He doesn't have the record of scripture at this point to tell him what truly happened. So verse 15, David called one of the young men and said, go near and fall on him. In other words, kill him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, thy blood be upon thy head for thy mouth hath testified against thee saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. So the mourners, they do not rejoice in Saul's death and there is no reward in Saul's death. By the way, I think it's interesting to note the Bible said and in verse 12, and they mourned. Again in verse 11, and likewise all the men that were with him. Now remember, that's the same group of men who in the cave said, get him. Here's your chance, David. End this thing. And we can all go home in peace. David said, I cannot lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. And these men now at the death of Saul are weeping and mourning as well because David has taught them something. The mourners. You know, when people die, we should weep. Now, we don't sorrow as those which have no hope. That's what Paul tells us. The hope is that we'll see them again. But the truth of the matter is we all know people who we won't see again. And for all of them, we weep. For all of them, we mourn because of the finality of death. You cannot undo it. Now, those who know the Lord live on, do they not? They live in his presence. We know that. But those who do not know the Lord, they go to an awful place called hell, an eternal death. They suffer the first death, that's death here on earth, the death of the physical body, and they suffer the second death, which is an eternal everlasting death, the death of the soul in an awful place called hell. So they mourned. It gives us a third thought, and that is the memorial. As I said a moment ago, there's no funeral for Saul and Jonathan. We know that the men of Jabesh Gilead, when they heard that the Philistines had taken the bodies of Saul and Jonathan and, and, and severed their heads, they, they sent their heads throughout the land of the Philistines into the temples of their pagan gods as trophies to their gods. They celebrated their victory over Saul. They took the bodies of Saul and his sons, the headless bodies, and they mounted them on a wall. The men of Jabesh Gilead, they went and retrieved those bodies and they buried them. But there was no state funeral. There was no receiving of friends. There was no ceremony, no kind words offered, no eulogies given. And so David in this moment takes the time to proclaim and write the words of this song, this lamentation, to offer the words of this memorial, to pay tribute to Saul and Jonathan. And we learn something great here because we live in a generation where honestly, you have a generation today that wants to dig up the bones of their forefathers and put them on trial. Statues all across our country are falling 
because people of yesterday are being judged by today's ever-shifting standards. And people are quick to point out the faults of previous generations. They fail to understand that the generation to come will do the same to them. You see, David didn't dance on the grave of Saul. He didn't celebrate. He, he didn't publish it in Gath. No. In fact, he sent a caution. He, he warned them not to do so. Look at verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. How was Saul smitten? The archers. So he said, we need to learn a lesson. We need to learn how to use the bow. Now, there were some who were using it, but they wanted them all to know how to use it. There was a lesson to be learned, and there was a lament to be offered. Notice it here in verse 19. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. It's too late, David. It's already happened. But he didn't know it. He didn't want it to happen. He didn't want Saul's body and Saul's record to be paraded through the streets of Philistines, of the land of the Philistines. He, he didn't want all of the people of Israel to talk about how bad and oppressive and terrible a king Saul was. He didn't want him to say, well, you know, that Amalekite probably killed him and he deserved to die at the hand of the Amalekite because he refused to obey God. The people knew that, but there was no use to repeat it. And in death, he did not. Oh, I, I just can't imagine where these people who celebrate the deaths of others that they disagree with politically a rock singer died this week. He's called meat. He's known as Meatloaf. He didn't, I guess he took a stance. I haven't researched this. I just saw some things on social media, but he must have taken a stance against the vaccine. So they call him an anti-vaxxer. And all the people that have just become almost religiously loyal to the vaccine are posting on social media how happy they are that this man died because they disagree with him. Howard Stern, who is a, a radio pundit and, and a foul-mouthed God-hater, said this week that the hospital should turn away people who haven't had a vaccine. Leave them to die. Where did this come from? Because we disagree philosophically, because we disagree with people politically, because we disagree with decisions they're making. Now we hate one another and we celebrate people's deaths. Oh no, that's not the Christian response. By the way, the people who disagree with us and the people who hate us, when they die and they will die, we don't celebrate. We should never celebrate their deaths. 
Resist the urge to dig up the bones of your forefathers and put them on trial. You didn't live when they did. You don't know what they knew. David said, we're not going to do that, boys. We're going to remember them. Don't parade this through the streets of the land of the Philistines. He says, verse 21, ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew. There's nothing to celebrate. Neither let there be any rain upon you nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. Well, Saul wasn't a very good king. Well, that's true, but he was the anointed of God. So you let God take care of it. Don't put it in your dirty little hands. Leave it in his. Verse 22. How did he remember them? He says, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Oh, listen, there was a lot of weak moments in the life of Saul. But he remembered them in their strength because there had been days of great strength when Saul delivered the people of Israel from their enemies. That's what David chose to remember. The victories, the blessings. He noticed in verse 24, he remembered the provision of Saul. Not just his power, but his provision. Look in verse 24, ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? He said, you prospered because he protected you. His armies fought for you. He created a secure nation where you were able to work and you were able to earn and you were able to enjoy things. Don't forget that, he said. And then lastly, he remembers the friendship that he had with Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan, I was slain in thine high places. I'm distressed for thee, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war? perished he's paid his tribute he's remembered them now what lessons do we learn well I think we learn a lesson from the Amalekite first of all be careful who you listen to we live in an age of misinformation and we need to be aware of the motivation these people have it's an anti-God anti-truth Motivation. We live in a time where the media no longer reports the news. No. They, they propagate a lie. May God help us to be discerning. They have an agenda. And may God help us to know that. Here's another lesson we learned from the Amalekite. Never seek to advance your own cause through the demise of another. Don't celebrate somebody else's demise. And don't give ear to those who do.
Then we learn a lesson from the fallen king. Disobedience has a high price. Disobedience is costly. Some of you may be paying the price for disobedience. Confess it to God. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Choose to obey God. And we learn a lesson from David, don't we? Mourn over the death of those who have been influential and beneficial in your life. Mourn over their deaths. Consider the finality of death and demonstrate reverence for the dead. Don't, don't dig up the bones. Don't look for fault. And then remember the good things. Move beyond the bad things and learn from the lives of those who have died. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.